Welcome to another episode of the AbilityNet podcast. Disability, technology, inclusion. I'm your host, Robin Christofferson, Head of Digital Inclusion at AbilityNet, a pioneering UK charity with a mission to make a digital world accessible to all. You can download a transcript of this episode from www.abilitynet.org.uk slash podcast. So sit back, grab your favourite beverage and let's get started. Hi guys, Robin here. I am really pleased to be talking with Matthew Bellringer. We had a really good chat a couple of weeks ago and I thought I have to get this guy on for the podcast. So um, I'm really looking forward to talking um, about neurodiversity and your organization, which sounds very, very similar to that. We'll get onto that in a second. First of all, cheesy question. Let's get it out of the way. Apart from hello, how are you doing? Hello there. Yeah, thank you, Robin. I, I did really enjoy our conversation. I'm really, really happy to be on here today and to to just kind of explore this and talk about this further. So yeah, I'm doing doing well. Just um, had a did a did another talk last night and kind of catching up with myself after that. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, all that went well. So yeah, really good. Thank you. Brilliant. Yeah, it's always like the the build up to a big presentation. Then and afterwards, it's like, whew, but now you've got to get on with the the day job. So I really appreciate that you're. Uh, joining us today. So yeah, I nearly didn't say hi. Um, so first question, cheesy question, um, what hot or cold beverage have you got to help you get through this ordeal? I've just got a cup of um, tea, strong tea. Well, normally I'd have a cup of tea, but actually I just have water right now, which is uh, not very interesting, but I do, I do, I'm, I'm a bit of a tea nerd. Um, I think anything I get interested in, I'm kind of become a nerd about. So uh, yeah, bit of a tea nerd. Um, and so it's usually some, some odd tea that that's from some strange mountain somewhere in wherever that's uh yeah that, that i'd usually be drinking i'm really tempted to ask if that's part of um neurodiversity that you're interested in things in a very intense a very focused way i mean it, it, well it's not, I, I think it i think <sighs> I think tea probably does fall into the category of special interest for me. If I get really into something, I get really into it. Um, the extent to which that's personality and which that's kind of neurodivergent category is 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 always arguable. But yeah, I I, I just fundamentally enjoy getting really curious about things and learning about things to the to a greater extent than most other people and <laughs> the own the most of the people I know who have that level of curiosity are also neurodivergent. Yeah. It's a, a special talent, I think, to be able to really get into different um, topics and, you know, mine them for all the goodies that they have. I am definitely of that persuasion as well. So neurodiversity, your organisation is called Neurodiverse IT, all one word. Well yeah nice so play. one of the organizations that i'm involved oh, with again okay. this is uh this is so with bcs the um the chartered institute of it um 
I have been uh, chair of Neurodiverse IT, which is a group for neurodivergent IT professionals. And BCS's mission is to make IT good for society. And there's a really clear intersection there. So uh, it was a couple of years ago now, me and the co-founder of the group both independently wrote to BCS as existing BCS members saying, "Um, could we have a neurodiversity group, please? Um, And they put us in touch and then we set everything up. So yeah, so neurodiversity exists really to um, help employers get access to the talent that neurodivergent people offer. It helps support us in our work in the IT profession, and it raises the awareness of the contribution that we make to the profession and therefore to wider society. As well, alongside that, I am also, I have my own private practice where I am a um, systems developer, speaker and author. I'm a kind of facilitative consultant in most of the work that I do, working with neurodivergent individuals and organisations that want to be a better place for us and get the benefits that we have to offer um, um, with a really big focus on innovation and um, creativity because that's one of the huge ways that all diversity can help organisations improve. And I also run a community called Curious Being, which is for unconventional people who want to make the world a better place and want to explore and try out ideas whilst they're doing it. So, yeah. Brilliant. Each time I I drew breath to uh, go on to the next question, you had another thing that you um, are into and heavily uh, involved in. <laughs> that was that was the edited notes as well. Um, wow. So, I, so I, I, I'm I'm an autistic ADHD and I have the uh, ADHD trait of doing a lot of things. Um, I think it's 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 quite common amongst people that start things as a, as a trait. Um, you know, there's a lot of ADHD traits in entrepreneurship and social entrepreneurship, and it's yeah, just just I I kind of almost can't help myself i'm like oh dear i've started another thing (laughs) (laughs) following it through that's the main thing isn't it so yeah yeah that's the challenge yeah sounds like you but you're on that it sounds like you're all over that if i don't remember at the end feel free to plug things like your books if you know you want to at the end when we ask you know how people can get in touch etc so if i don't remember please do super so for the sake of the listeners, would it be helpful to define what neurodiversity is and maybe why it's so important in the context of the workplace, say? Absolutely. So neurodiversity as a concept, it's really a simple fact of biology. It's that we all have brains that are different, work differently, have different neurological wiring, and we all therefore experience the world, feel, think somewhat differently. No one thinks exactly the same as anyone else. And that's a lot of that is on the basis of neurology. Within that kind of wider idea, there are some people who think quite significantly different to the ways that are expected um, on perhaps the ways that are the majority ways of thinking. And those uh, conventionally, those ways of thinking, at least for the last couple of hundred years, have been pathologized and pro- been been seen as a problem. And those are often associated with diagnoses, um, mm. such as um, Tourette's, uh, dyspraxia, dyslexia, ADHD, autism, and this wider category of different ways of being in the world. Now, 
the the kind of the slightly political, I suppose, view of neurodiversity is that all of these are completely legitimate and have their own value to contribute. And that's particularly true in the workplace, where really this diversity of perspectives, different ways of seeing the world, different strengths, different interests, different ways of understanding what's going on, is a really key competitive advantage for organisations, particularly when they're in a knowledge-led industry. You know, a, a lot of the uh, really robust evidence around this is around the benefit to knowledge-led industries, to innovation and to change. Because being able to see things from a different angle means that you have this advantage of being able to understand things in a different way. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's true of however we, however we perceive the world, we have our own relationship to it and we understand different aspects of it in different ways. Um, and neurodiversity gives rise to some of that. Yeah, and there's been loads of amazing research by different organisations, but also, you know, from government, health and safety executive, showing that more diverse workforces, even down at the team level, can have a huge impact on well-being, productivity. You know, those teams and the organisations as a whole uh, have higher staff retention, take less sick leave, that sort of thing. So not only are they bringing something to um, you know the, the the products and services that that organisation potentially delivers to customers, but also internally as well. There are huge benefits, and obviously, to be surrounded by people that are more reflective of society as a whole has got to be a really, really healthy thing um, in the workplace as well as as outside. Completely, and and the, the the wider representation in the workplace, particularly when we're talking about services that a wide group of people are expected to use or where there are real disadvantages to not being able to use those services. Mm-hmm. Um, having people who have a wide range of lived experience represented in the design and the implementation of those, it's really, really a protective factor in making sure that they are genuinely accessible, that they genuinely work for a wide range of people. Yeah. Um without having to expend a huge amount of thought and effort about it where because it's very very hard to put ourselves in the in someone else's position and understand someone mm. else's lived experience and actually one of the quickest ways to do that is simply to have someone who has some degree of that lived experience also informing the design and implementation process absolutely yeah i mean these are really talented capable individuals that have got an awful lot to bring to the workplace, how can you give us um, from your experience some examples of, of, you know, a best practice approach to recruiting, onboarding these really talented neurodiverse individuals? I think it's actually very hard to to give best practice in this space <laughs> because everyone is different. Everyone has different experiences, different industries have different needs, different organisations have different needs, and also different levels of capability where they are right now. So it's really important to kind of take into account that we're working really towards a trajectory of improvement, rather than that there's a fixed end goal that we can realistically reach, even the best organisations. And I think perhaps the best organisations are more aware of this than others, is, is that they're on an ongoing trajectory rather than just trying to kind of tick a box, finish, you know, okay, we're diverse now, we're done. <laughs> um, and it's going to develop. I, I, I think 
it's probably always going to be the case. You know, we're essentially creating a circle where it moves outwards and outwards and outwards. Mm-hmm. Um, however, in terms of the actual practical side of it, the big things are to look for barriers um, and look for things that are preventing people from participating and partic- or participating fully and work with removing them. Look for prejudice and stigma. Unfortunately, there is still quite a lot of prejudice and stigma. And that relates to another big area, which is build skills all round around this. It's very often the case that if we are um, in any marginalised or minoritised group, it's the all the effort of adapting, of fitting in, of meeting our colleagues falls to us, mm-hmm. or the vast majority of it. Um, I think any person who experiences disabling barriers will have had so many times this experience of having to adapt massively to fit into a space, to be working around a whole load of other things. And then someone says, oh, why won't you meet me halfway? when you've already done 80% of the adaption just to show up in the space. <laughs> Which they might not be aware of or appreciate, then, yeah. They're not aware of that, but it, and, and it's actually building that awareness and building and helping people build the skills to connect on both sides with this, rather mm-hmm. than that focus on just the, um, just the people who we think of as uh, excluded and can often be seen as having deficits in skills, whereas very often they also have, you know, we, we, the, the groups we're talking about have, have have as many strengths and the strengths can be just as difficult as the skills to work with because sometimes they can't be coped with by colleagues and there's, there's, there's a skill development need in all sorts of places. So I think it's understanding that this is a systemic thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not something that you can just kind of implement and fix and tick box um but that you want to establish a positive growth from where you are and not to be you know we want to be ambitious long term but in the very short term we want to do something we can be confident that we're going to achieve and so it's about a series of small steps and working out what those steps are and iterating as fast as possible rather than you know, some grand top-down plan, which is unlikely to shift the culture, unlikely to deal with the issues that people actually see on the ground. Brilliant. Now, just a quick point on language. I want to talk about neurodivergent individuals, or is it neurodiverse, or are they both okay? Um, Different people prefer to use different things. Um, I I know there's a lot of debate in the community about this. Uh, I find that I, I prefer to mark out people who do not fit the established expectations of neurology and experience as neurodivergent and include myself in that mm-hmm. category mm-hmm. because I find it useful to have that label to explain those experiences uh, if we don't have that label, it's actually harder to explain why very often. In the long run, I'd really like us to reach a point where that wasn't the case, where mm. we don't actually need the labels and where everyone's needs are met without a background explanatory framework. Mm. However, we're nowhere near there yet. And there's all sorts of, there's some research to suggest that um, in social interactions, people rate autistic people much um better as a social partner if they know they are autistic yeah 
one of the really, really big problems between um, different groups who experience the world different ways. Um, and this is true of all groups, but it is particularly true around different groupings of neurodiversity is that we can, we, we assume a lot about people's behavior and inner state and that those two things tie up in the way that they do for us. So if I do that, it means this about my inner state. And that differs between different groups. So we make mistakes of inference. It's like, if I don't make eye contact in the standard Western way, it means I'm not paying attention or I'm being rude or whatever. Whereas that would be a mistake of inference because I pay the most attention usually when I'm not actually making eye contact i am engaged yeah um so i think there's all sorts of these problematic things that and, and people can struggle with those mistakes and the labels can sometimes help break down those and be like okay well ideally we'd just be more flexible in our models of thought but that's not something that we can achieve that quickly um so yeah i i think and to, to neurodiversity, um, as I've said, we we uh, the the idea that we are all neurodiverse, I think is is a really strong, you know, is is a really strong yeah, thing. So, um, and I think it's actually worth the reason I like to mark it out as neurodivergent is because it's a reminder that everyone is neurodiverse. If we say neurodiverse to mean people who are actually different to the expected and kind of constructed norms around neurology, then we kind of mark, we, we kind of exclude people um, and mark, mark groups out as different. Whereas actually, you know, one of the really interesting things about this is everyone has these, has some degree of difference. Mm -hmm. And I think it's how we work with that. That's the key of a lot of this. Mm -hmm. But certainly like you were saying, labels can can cut both ways. They can be used to, you know, label people, um, rightly or wrongly. But for the individuals themselves, often it can be a helpful diagnosis. Oh, that's why, you know, I am feeling this way or struggle with with these things. Or and it's a it's a helpful shorthand to tell people why perhaps you, you know, not making eye contact isn't personal or isn't, you know, that's, yeah, there yeah. is a, there is a reason. So for a shorthand point of view, it can be quite liberating in that respect. Yes. And you're right. The other really big aspect of this is, is finding appropriate help. You know, one yeah. of the things that a diagnosis um, can unlock. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Is, is, is that we experience specific difficulties. And one of the challenges is that, that the conventional interventions don't always work because they're either founded in a different model of that difficulty or because they're the ways they use of resolving that aren't things that play to our strengths. You know, mm -hmm. the, the strong example of this is people with ADHD often struggle with um, uh, CBT, with uh, cognitive behavioural therapy, because it feels like more admin. It, it requires <laughs> the reliance of doing things that, people with ADHD often have a really limited capacity for. And one of the things we learn to be very strategic about is how we use those limited capacities because you need them for everything. And if you use them all up on something, you don't have them available for something else. And that yeah. can be a real problem. 
this idea of spoons you know you've only got exactly. so much capacity in any given day sometimes in a week you know it depends on the condition yeah you, you need to be really careful about how much load you put on yourself to get through the day or the activities that you need to do and be sociable at the same time uh, if you can as far as um getting individuals you know neurodivergent individuals into the workplace i think we've kind of talked about how important that is and you know i'm sure you'd agree that getting those well you mentioned it getting the in those um diverse individuals involved in the process nothing about us without us means that you know that will be a much better informed process of recruitment onboarding um supporting individuals in the workplace and i think you touched upon this as well but you know how would an organization more broadly kind of engender a culture or an environment of you know inclusion and support for a neurodiverse or just a diverse workforce full stop um you know you can kind of have individuals become much better informed by having neurodiverse colleagues but is there anything that you can do on an organizational level to try and kind of embed a better culture when it comes to neurodiversity yeah i mean i i think for me the core thing is to make sure that we understand why neurodiversity and all forms of diversity in the organization matter to us as a collective as an organization um from a strategic level i don't mean you know i i think one of the big difficulties in this space is the this idea that um we want or require pity <laughs> or, um, or, or or that we should be, you know, included out of some moral obligation for those poor unfortunates. And <laughs> that is not healthy for anyone. And instead connecting this, you know, connecting to the real strategic drivers that you know of, of why and what forms of diversity matter most to you and your organization probably what forms are already present and how you can do that better and working from that space is is is, is the most effective way because that has the advantage first of all that then it means you can really value people for who they are Mm -hmm. And instead of just having people kind of included and not really fitting in and not really being supported by the system. And it also means that when things do get tough, which they always do in organizations eventually, mm -hmm. it means that those people suddenly don't become kind of a, an uncomfortable expense, a dead weight to carry in the organization and are therefore just removed which is often what we see, you know, it's, it's, if we see, you know, organizations treat diversity and inclusion efforts as nice to have rather than a core part of strategy is that as soon as the operating conditions get difficult, those efforts stop and all of the support disappears. And then it becomes a very difficult place for people in whatever groups were supported and then they will leave. And that's, again, not good for anyone. So I think for me, it's that real being clear about why, what benefits people bring and understanding. And that also means really understanding the relative benefits and the relative strengths. We all have strengths and weaknesses. And one of the difficult conversations can be amongst people who don't experience this is, okay, where are your strengths and where are your weaknesses? 
because what then we can do is find people who have complementary strengths and weaknesses yeah. <laughs> and work from that rather than assuming that we all have to be good at everything because no one is um and when we think we are it's just an artifact of a de- of a system that was designed entirely for us to give us really nice soft guardrails around everything which doesn't happen to those of us who don't work as expected in whatever way absolutely um I mean, this is such a fascinating area. You, you t- touched upon the idea of expectations and um, certainly being blind myself. When I meet people socially, you know, they're very surprised when they find out that I, I work, you know, I have a job. And when, you know, they learn that I'm married, for example, they would say something like, oh, well done. <laughs> so, know. you know, low expectations. I get the, I get the say. Yeah. And I was wondering, you know, when it comes to the neurodiverse community, that's probably not the right, you know, for um, diverse individuals across those different conditions that you mentioned up up front there. um, Is it majority low expectations or maybe the other way? You know, what's your superpower? You're on the spectrum. You must be, you know, amazing at something. Um, Uh, Or you've got ADHD. You must have you must be three times as productive or something. Are there any challenges yeah. around expectations and pre uh, prejudices, you know, preconceived ideas? Absolutely. And thank you for asking that that question. I think it's <laughs> the stereotypes we have yeah. um, is one of the really big aspects of stigma and the expectations we have associated with those stereotypes. You know, I think there's a the 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 kind of there's a particularly with autism we have this idea of essentially savantism which mm-hmm. is you know to have one incredible ability and yet mm-hmm. to be have actually very high support needs in general but one mm-hmm. incredible ability and i think first of all they're prob- that's problematic in both directions um mm-hmm. and the, the the two don't necessarily go together so it's it, it can be really 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 challenging to work. And the other aspect of this is everyone experiences these things differently. Everyone has different aspects of the thing, different abilities within the scope of whatever disability or neurodivergent condition they experience. And I say that because some people identify, and I, I include myself in this group, as, as neurodiversity and disability as, as, two, as, as being a common thing. Whereas I know some neurodivergent people who don't identify with disability directly. So again, lots of lots of emerging language around this. But mm-hmm. um but if if you're in in these categories, it's it, it it's it's very, very hard to step outside of the stereotypes and 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 people's responses to you change quite significantly when they know. I don't know if you, you know, I expect you experience very similar things. People like completely change their demeanor, um, sometimes become much more helpful when previously yeah. they were really unhelpful, but also then treat you like a child. Yeah. Infantilization is a, is a thing guys. <laughs> it, it really, really is. is. Yeah. Patronized. I mean, yeah, absolutely. For me, if it's face to face, then it's usually pretty obvious straight away, but obviously that you know online or whatever that might be a little bit different but yeah things change quite a lot when they find out it's and you're right it's this this idea that we don't have agency i i I, and and there's something about the fact that we're not competent as adults 
in this. You know, I I, I see threads that um, you know people talk about the online, you know, some of the discourse around us, particularly around autistic people, and the idea that essentially we're all cognitively children, and therefore the and which and that the 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 consequences of that for actually the people around us are really harmful it's like what does that say about say my partner if mm-hmm. i'm mm-hmm. not capable of making that decision yeah. myself or <laughs> you know and forming a, a viable adult relationship and that that's you know there's 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 some very when like these things that don't seem that just seem a bit frustrating and off mm-hmm. on the surface mm-hmm. actually when you think about the com- the, um, the consequences the implications mm-hmm. of yeah. some of these stereotypes they're really really problematic and i think unpicking some of these is is uh is, is a big part of it and i would we say you know, a... you... Sorry. sorry yeah you you also mentioned um superpower you, you know neurodivergence is a superpower um and yes i i think i've i've known you know it's like i've i've sometimes said you know and people talk about it as a gift it's like uh, and i've at time, you know whilst if you gave me a big button if i thought it was even possible because i don't think you can remove a lot of neurodivergent conditions without removing the person yeah. Um, but if even if that were possible, and you gave me a button, I wouldn't press it. Um, mm. uh, but even so, if people talk about it as a gift, that feels very uncomfortable. You know, it's like I think if this if this, if this is a gift, yeah. did you keep the receipt? Um, uh, because I wouldn't necessarily give it to someone else. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, mm-hmm. And I think very carefully about whether that. You know whether I'd want to introduce someone, knowing the struggles that I've faced and continue to face, mm-hmm. and so I think we can be toxically positive about these conditions too, which mm-hmm. tends to gloss over all of the difficulties and the the struggles that we have, and I think that can also lead to us then not concerning ourselves with the systemic change necessary to improve access because it becomes this thing of if you've got one kind of model whatever one model autistic person who is successful kind of despite the odds on some level that feels that fuels the idea that then everyone should be and that there aren't so many barriers after all which also then fuels the idea that we don't need to fix the systemic issues of access that exist yeah the kind of superhero situation is isn't helpful either and i mean we've talked about this but the the main answer or antidote to preconceptions etc is to meet as many diverse people as possible across all the different areas of diversity um because it is you know they're much more nuanced there you know if you've met one neurodiverse or neurodivergent individual you've only met one so um you know i think that points towards this idea of of diversity in the workplace uh, obviously um is incredibly helpful but also you know go out and, and meet as many um uh, as broad a range of humanity as you can and that will be a very helpful process and a very enjoyable one as well so at risk of making superheroes of some neurodivergent individuals let's talk briefly about 
um, some individuals that that neurodiverse IT has worked with because you're a you know grassroots organization as well you work with individuals uh, you help them you know with their careers etc do you want to give us some examples of organ- uh, individuals that you've worked with and kind of what have come out of you know what have you learned from their journeys etc yeah, I mean, we, we've only been around um, for about 18 months now uh, in, wow. in, in, uh, as, a, as an organization. So we don't have kind of huge like stories specifically mm-hmm. and, and also because it's a volunteer organization and it's part of, uh, you know, it's part of a professional body. Um, it, we haven't, we, we're not working directly with people in the way that, mm-hmm. that uh, we would be, um, that say I would do in my private practice. Mm-hmm. However, with neurodiverse IT, we've, we've definitely, I mean, the, what's very interesting is we, we've, we've opened up the conversation. We've had people understand their own aspects and their own difficulties and have um, spoken to the community about that and understood this through a different lens and therefore been able to resolve a lot of them. Um, I think one of the huge benefits of this is simply knowing you're not alone in this stuff. Yeah. That you're not, that this, yes, you know, I I think it's, it's very easy to fall into this idea that it's just me. You know, there's something wrong with me and it's only me and therefore I can never resolve this. It's impossible. And I think Mm. there are forces in the wider world that somewhat subtly reinforce that message, unfortunately. And so the group has definitely been really, really effective in sharing the, um, a, a, a different message to that, helping us understand that we, we do have something to contribute. And we've been working a lot with other um, specialist groups within the IT, within BCS and within BCS, um, the different specialist groups are mostly based on different kind of professional specialisms. Mm-hmm. And so we've been talking to them about the overlap between their particular specialisms and their aspects of neurodiversity, which has opened an awful lot of eyes, I think, and mm-hmm. uh, made more and more people aware simply of the concept, because it is a relatively new idea certainly to the mainstream um i i started working in this field um explicitly a few years ago and i used to have to preface pretty much every conversation with quite a long explanation of what neurodiversity meant um and that's not so much the case anymore and that's through the work of a whole that's through a whole bunch of wonderful work done by a whole bunch of amazing people um and we've played a small part in that as well brilliant yeah it's definitely more in the public consciousness this idea of neurodiversity and you know that we're all a rich mixture um but some organ um some conditions you know obviously in the fall when it comes to people's idea about you know neurodivergent individuals um but hopefully there you know there's more representation in the media um you know more um visibility um you know brilliant documentaries and things like that so yeah uh, hopefully you won't necessarily have to start from square one in in the conversation you know going forward um so what would your um recommendations be if you've got an individual who is neurodivergent who but they're you know they're struggling in the workplace, you know, that they're in at the moment, or maybe they want to create a more accessible 
a more um, supportive environment or maybe they're thinking about changing to a different career where the, it might be a bit more you know uh, accepting or welcoming of neurodiversity so I don't know have you got any kind of tips for individuals that that might not be in as good a place as they'd like to be in their chosen career yeah absolutely I think the main thing for me and, and this is true of individuals and actually people trying to support me is take a strengths focus look at look at the strengths mm-hmm. and think about the things where necessary that are getting in the way of realizing those strengths whether they're internal or external we have a very big habit of assuming that things vary together you know if you can do that then you can do this as well and do that to a to a you know to the level but that that just isn't the case it's it's a weak assumption even amongst most you know most people and it becomes an even weaker assumption when we're talking about neurotypical people, no, neurodivergent people. So mm. understanding that um, that we have these strengths and cultivating the strengths and working on supporting those strengths is the key thing. If you are an individual struggling in a particular organisation, then seeking ways to support those strengths, which might mean working your own way, you know, doing things your own way, as much as the organization allows you to do that is one of the key ways to to develop this and if the organization doesn't then it's a good reason it it will allow you to figure out what you're looking for in the next place as well because i think it, one of the big challenges of this is like okay this doesn't work but what will um and the more you can try and the more you can get specific about both the strengths and the abilities and the things you need to support those strengths and abilities, because that's what we're really looking at here, mm-hmm. is um, the, the better fit you'll find in future. And also the more you can explain why you are of such unique value, because you know there, there aren't that many neurodivergent people, um, depending on how you measure it, it's at best mm-hmm. one in five. And that that lumps us all in together. And there are some neurodivergent people with very different skills and abilities than others. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's that there is a there is a rarity value in the perspective and the skills and abilities that neurodivergent people have. So if you can find the right fit, you can deliver things that other people simply can't to the same degree. Um, we very often learn that like internalize the message that it has to be hard it has to be difficult because that's what we get told all through school you know and all through the um and, and often all through the workplaces we're rewarded for things that are really difficult for us and actually moving in this direction of actually where are my natural abilities where is my interest where is my strength and over time exploring and cultivating that doesn't it's it's an ongoing journey and a discovery i think but if we are you know if if you are in a situation where you feel frustrated and stuck it can be you know you 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 can just start trying that out and exploring that in in ways where where okay it might not be the case so you need to try out and experiment in little small ways but allowing yourself more of that interest and allowing yourself more of the stuff that comes easily to you as a strength 
is probably the best way to start cultivating those abilities. Brilliant. And I'm sure there's lots more wisdom, resources and support available from neurodiverse IT. So where would people go to find out more? Um, feel free to plug things. And if there's something else burning that you that we haven't touched upon yet, please do uh, flag that as well. But um, how can people find out more? So, yeah, absolutely. The The best way you can find out about all of my work, where I've made at least a, an attempt to lay it out in a way that, that, that explains it all and makes sense fairly succinctly, is uh, at my website, which you can find at matthewbellringer.com forward slash links. And you can find all of the links to, to that stuff, um, including to Neurodiverse IT there. Um, where, uh, and if you find the Neurodiverse IT site, you'll find... Um, a whole load of upcoming events and past events, um, with, with a lot of which have recordings, um, which you can check out. You can also check me out on YouTube, um, where which is also Matthew Bellringer. Um, and uh, yeah, that's... Uh, and uh, by all means, connect with me on LinkedIn, um, where I share a lot of this content as well. Uh, and that you can also find from the, uh, the links uh, kind of page uh, on my website. Um, or you can just search Matthew Bellringer because there really aren't that many of us. Um, <laughs> so, is that double uh, T or one? Uh, yeah, two T's um, yeah, and Bellringer is spelled as it sounds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nice, nice. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Any final comments or uh, anything we haven't touched upon? I just want to thank you for for doing the podcast and doing what you do because I think it's really, really important. Um, and I think... You know, the more that we're doing this and kind of celebrating and engaging with the difficulty at the same time is uh, and and, here, and and sharing different voices um, is such an important part of doing this work. So yeah, thank you for 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 putting for for doing the podcast in general and for mm -hmm. for inviting me on. Brilliant, thank you, thank you so much. I absolutely had to get you on after the conversation we had. And hopefully the listeners now will appreciate why, because it's such an interesting topic and you're so involved and, you know, engaged in this area and have an awful lot to um, convey, which we've probably just scratched the surface of in this chat. But yeah, thank you guys for joining us. Matthew, thank you so much. And we'll see you guys next time. Thank you. TechShare Pro, it's happening again this November for the seventh year running. It's the leading technology and digital inclusion conference. Please do check it out. We are going to be talking about everything from AI and what it will mean with your organization and with end users across the world. We're going to be talking about the European Accessibility Act, which will mean so much more than compliance and a new level of accessibility for European organizations? Will it become the global standard when it comes to accessibility best practice? We're going to be talking about how still, after accessibility has become so much more prominent, people are still feeling like they're the lone voice within their organization and how networks both internally and externally can help you push that agenda forward that we all feel so passionate about and so much more. There are going to be dozens of sessions. Every single one you'll be able to catch live, either in person or online. 
or catch up afterwards. So please join us the 14th and 15th of November, whether it's online or in person, we would love to have you. You can find out more information at techshepro.com.